I'm real excited about the message I'm going to share with you today as I wrap up this series, Limitless. Find Ephesians, the third chapter in your Bible, the book of Ephesians, third chapter. I'm going to read you the 20th verse in just a moment. Again, thank you so much uh, for being here today. And uh, I wrote a letter this week inviting many people to invite you to just try out our 8 o'clock or our 9 or a 10 o'clock service. And uh, man, those services were full of people today, and yet still there's all this room here now this morning and some room to, to bring your friends. It's not going to be that way for long, so I want to encourage you, if you're on the fence, we had an awesome service at 9 and 10 and at 8 this morning, so I want to encourage you to check that out at some point. And I'm excited today, the message I'm going to share with you is really a segue into the next series that we're going to begin. It's my favorite time of the year. I was up at the Hamilton Town Center on Friday. They were playing Christmas music already. Now, it's a little early for me, and that's not really why this is the most famous. I, I am excited. It is, Christmas is one of the you know, best times of the year, but I'm excited because this is the season for us at Heartland that we are able to launch an avalanche of generosity together in our community. We do it every year. And this year, I'm excited to say that we are joined by all of our church planting partners that we have launched out over the years. I mean, did you know that 12 years ago, there was just 17 people in a living room? We came to a city. We didn't know anybody. But 12 years later, we have launched out together 12, uh, seven churches in the 12 years all over uh, this state. And it's just amazing when you think about that. You might not know... Uh, where they are. So let me just read them for you. We're going to be joined in our uh, generosity initiative this fall by Indy Metro Church. That was the first church we launched in downtown Indianapolis. The Journey Church in Franklin, Indiana, over on the southeast corner. Um, the River Church up in Lapel, Indiana, just a few exits up the road. Waterline Church, Pastor John Frieden, uh, Noblesville, Indiana, a great church. And then the City of God Church in Lafayette, Indiana. Sorry, Boilermakers. It was a bad weekend, you know. It was tough for you. This was an initiative that started on the campus of Butler, or excuse me, of, of, of Purdue, I mean, on Purdue, and then moved into uh, this church called City of God. And then Radiate Church, this is the one that started as an initiative on Butler campus. It's in Broad Ripple now, and that's going great. And then a year ago, we launched out um, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio, called Mosaic Church. And that church has about 500 people in it this morning. It's just taking off. So when you put all of that together, this is so above and beyond what we could have asked or imagined in the beginning. And that's why I chose this scripture to be my text for the day. Will you read it with me? Ephesians, the third chapter. Now to him, in fact, read it with me. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above. Let's read that part again. Exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. I want to talk to you today about limitless possibilities because when God is in it, there is no limit to what can happen. It's going to be an incredible message uh, from God's word today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would make the scriptures come alive and you'd inspire our hearts and you would build faith in us to believe that you really can do above and beyond what we could ever ask or imagine today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is my favorite book of the New Testament. To put this little scripture in context, this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a major city, a major financial center. It's a major cultural center, major shipping port, 
on the far west coast of Turkey in the Mediterranean. This was a major city where all kinds of cultural trends were set. And one of the great seven wonders of the world was there, the great temple of the goddess Diana. And uh, it was an incredible city with a huge obsession, a pursuit of money and idol worship. Not very different from the culture we live in today. But the Apostle Paul went to this city, found a small group of people to encourage, and he was so inspired by their response to the gospel that he decided to stay in this church for three years, to stay in the city. And what happened in Ephesus blew everybody's mind. Nothing short of an explosion of the gospel, the, the peoples uh, spread and the, and the church multiplied. It was an incredible, multiplying, multi-ethnic, uh, missional church. And it was so impacting that what started off with just a small group of people ended up infecting the entire city. In fact, the non-believing people in the city started to imitate the believers. Can you imagine if a small group of Christians decided to start something in Indianapolis and in a few years' time, three years' time, you would have all kinds of unbelievers in this city starting to imitate the behavior and customs and even the speech patterns of this little group of Christians. That's how influential they became. It was at Ephesus where you had a group of people who didn't even believe, but they saw the power of God at work in people's lives and people being set free from demonic possession. And even though they didn't believe, they would walk up and say, well, hey, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, you know, demons come out. And they would even just, just say that even though they didn't believe. This was, it was, this was the city where the huge march, the huge move down to the center of the city where they all, thousands of people walked and they brought all their occultic books and their magic books and their idols and their witchcraft stuff and they came and they burned them all and the scripture says it was millions of dollars that they burned up in this paraphernalia in one day. And so it's turned the city on. They couldn't believe that people were burning all this stuff and abandoning their worship of idols and sorcery. And in fact, it set off such a trend, people stopped worshiping the goddess Diana. The silversmiths and the idol makers were starting to go out of business. Now, you know it's a move of God when Christianity is so affecting the culture that it's shutting evil down in the city. And that's exactly what was happening. And so these people reacted, and there were riots and protests against the Christians because they had become such a major force in that community. It was an incredible church, and the Apostle Paul loved the people there, and when he saw what happened, he breaks out into this little exclamation, like, God has done something here that's beyond what we could even imagine. It was at Ephesus that Paul gets the ambition, the scriptures say, to go to Rome. He saw what happened in Ephesus, and he said, if God can do this in this major economic and cultural center of Ephesus, can you imagine if the gospel got a hold of the city of Rome and how it would spread to the rest of the world? So he made up his mind, and he called the elders of the church, and they laid hands on and appointed a young protege preacher that was following in Paul's footsteps called Timothy, and they appointed him as the pastor of the new church in Ephesus. And so Paul then gets to go and head towards Rome. Several years later, he arrives, and he's put into prison, and he is arrested. But from there, he begins to write amazing letters of encouragement back to the Ephesian church, and he writes two letters back to the pastor of that church. He writes a letter, uh, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, to encourage the pastor, and all of these books have a singular theme, and it's basically this, wow, 
Like, look what God has done. In fact, he starts off Ephesians. He says, I never stop praying and thanking God for you when you come to my mind. I never stop praising God for what he's doing in you. And he spends the first three chapters of Ephesians saying, if you only realized what God was doing in you, if you only could get a grasp on his incredible love for you. He talked about it over and over. He says, I pray that you'll understand how, how uh, high and how wide and how deep is his incredible love that he has for you. Because the church and the people that get a hold of that change the world. I mean, when you stop and think that God loves you, you didn't have to earn it. Like, like the child that you bore or the son that you have and you just love that child and God's love is so infinitely more and he says, you don't have to do anything to please me. I, I saw you the day that you were born and you brought joy to my heart. And it was, it's our sinfulness and our waywardness and our own keeping of our own standards that causes us to hold God at a distance and stiff arm him. And we feel embarrassed and ashamed and we hope that he still loves us. But when you realize all that God has done for you, Paul says, it will transform your life. It'll change you from the inside out. The day I realized that, I stopped being afraid of people. I stopped having to run to addictions to, make, to, to comfort me for my lack of security. The day you realize that God deeply loves you, it changes you. The church that realized God loves us and nothing will change that, they have the capacity to stand strong and then in the love of God accept every single person just as they are. They have the ability to give generously. They have the ability to, to, to overlook faults and they have a bit, the ability to be sacrificial. That's why this church exploded. This church exploded because of the generosity of these people and what they did in their community, and it was jaw-dropping. Paul says to them in this verse, verse 19, right before the one that we read, he says this, I pray that you will know the unknowable love of God. I mean, think about that. I pray that you'll know the love that passes knowledge. Like, like you just can't understand it. You have to experience it. What you have in your hearts, I want you to give to people in your community because they're not going to know it unless they see it. They have to experience that love. And so he says, I want you to keep that front and center. Never lose sight of your first love. Experience the love of God. Though it's so wide and deep and high, you can't really fully understand it. If you'll experience it and you'll live it and you'll act on it and you will give it, you will see it somehow. If you continue to show it, you will experience it. You will be filled with the fullness of God. And that's when Paul just goes, this is so amazing what I've seen. I mean, think about it. Paul said, I saw something that God had planned that was a mystery since the beginning of the world, that Jew and Gentile would be in the same church, that racial differences would go away. They hated each other, but in this church, they loved one another, that there was no gender um, inequality, that whether you were male or female or rich or poor or slave or free. And when people saw that in their culture, they say, we never see anything like this. If we see that, then maybe God is among you. The church exploded. Paul says, when I stop and think about what I've seen in Ephesus, I never stop praying for you. I want to encourage you to keep going. Never hold back. In fact, he says, let me just stop and praise the Lord for a minute. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. To him be the glory for what he's done. Now, the New King, uh, New King James translation 
says, exceedingly abundantly above. The New Living Translation, which is in your notes and which I had thought about, it just says infinitely more than we could ask or think. Now, infinitely more is easier to understand, right? I mean, infinitely is easier for us to stand than exceedingly abundantly above. But I don't think it's nearly as powerful. I think infinitely more is like, okay, cool. <laughs> and then exceedingly abundantly above, you know, it's just kind of, there's something about, about that that is more like, it's in, I don't know what it means, but it's inspiring, right? Don't you feel that? So what does it mean? So the word exceedingly means beyond, like beyond what you, have you ever tried to describe something and the only word you had was awesome? You ever done that? And they say, what was it like? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah, I know, but what was it like? It was awesome. And you try, and you're telling them how awesome it is, and they're looking at you like, what? what's, and you just finally go this, your hand comes up and you go, Psh, forget it. Why? Why does your hand do that? Because it's just, it's just beyond. It's beyond my ability to describe. I can't explain it. I'm trying to make you, I don't have the words. It's just way past my vocabulary. So beyond, all right? You've done this, right? You've just gone, Psh. So exceedingly beyond. Now, when he says exceedingly abundantly above, he's going, it's like a beyond, beyond. That's what that is. It's like both beyond, beyond. I can't even describe it. It's even beyond, like, like to boldly go where no one has gone before and beyond into the next generation. That's right. So beyond, beyond. Paul was trying to get across. It's probably not the best grammar. That's why there's three words in the original Greek. But he's trying to say, I didn't have the words, and I still don't have the words to say how this is so beyond what I ever could imagine. And I feel that way. When I came into this city 12 years ago, I didn't know one person. And to think about what God has done. I don't have the words for it. I was hoping, I remember telling my wife, you know, if we could just get 500 people to come to our church. That was the extent of my vision. And so today, and I think about the number, you know, the, all the people baptized and all the people in all the services and, the, and our second campus and then all these seven churches we launched out and the generosity that God does every year through you guys, it's beyond, beyond. That's why this next series, we're going to start, we're going to spin the flywheel of generosity again. And we're going to come back and say we must never lose what it is that we are known for. This is what we are known for. And it must be what we are always known for in this culture. Generosity is the very heart of the gospel. And so when Paul wrote these instructions uh, to Timothy, he said he wrote the book of Ephesians. Then he wrote the pastor. He says, pastor, just a few more words of encouragement for the people. Don't let them ever. And 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are all about being a good leader and not letting people miss the first love and get off track. And he says in the sixth chapter of the book of 1 Timothy, chapter, uh, verses 17, uh, 18 and 19, he says, I want you to tell the people of Ephesus who are so caught up in the consumeristic, materialistic, idol-worshiping culture, I want you to teach them and tell them, never depart from what I've taught you. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their wealth, which is so unreliable, but to trust in God 
who richly provides everything for our enjoyment. He says, teach them uh, to be good, rich people. And I'm sure the people of Ephesus thought, well, we're not rich. (laughs) But Paul knew the standard of living at Ephesus was so much higher than the whole rest of the, the world. I mean, this was an incredibly affluent city, the seventh wonder of the world. I mean, they had money. And Paul knew something and almost prophetically was saying, I don't want this congregation to drift. And I don't want them to because over time we move and we drift away from the things that make us great and the things that we did at the beginning. And so he says very specifically to them in that 18th verse, he says, tell them to use their money to do good, that they should be rich in good works and generous towards those in need, always being ready to share. And so the next series we're going to do for the next few weeks is going to be called Let's Be Rich. And we're going to learn how to be good, rich people based on this, this, these words that Timothy spoke to the Ephesian church. Now, Andy Stanley, he spoke a message series on this in 2007. They've done it every year. And in, in, a, in a great move of creativity, he called his series, Be Rich. And so in boldface creativity, we're going to call ours, Let's Be Rich. And it's just going to be so much better, okay? <laughs> just wanted to say that. But... What do you mean, let's be rich? Well, let's practice. Let's practice being good, rich people because we're not very good at it. I mean, none of us really feel rich. We know those rich people. And yet here we live in a community, in a culture, not only in our culture, but in our community, we live at a standard of living that's so much higher than most of the world. And yet we don't feel it and we're tight and we're stretched. And so most Americans are really actually pretty bad at being rich, even though we're the richest nation in the world. What I mean by that is that the average income in America, I mean, some people make way more and some make way less, but it's about $50,000 a year across the board in America right now. And so the giving percentage of the median income of $50,000 is about 3 to 6% a year which is okay to, the, to, to nonprofits, to charities, churches, and so on. But as average income increases, when you get into the range of about $200,000 per year in the median range of the family, it's amazing to watch the giving percentage goes down. So now a family making on average $200,000 a year on average gives 1% to 3% of their income. So the checks are larger, right? But the percentages are lower. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about, you know, Jesus said, I'm not even interested in zeros and numbers. I'm interested in percentages because that defines the nature of your heart. I mean, we want to be good that the more God blesses, we want to be able to increase in our generosity. So we're going to talk about that. But here's the thing I want you to realize that Paul uh, wrote these letters to, to the church at Ephesus, and then he wrote to Timothy. You know, about 40 to 50 years later, after these letters were written, God spoke to another disciple named John, and he had a revelation of Jesus. And in that revelation of Jesus, God gave him a message. Jesus spoke and gave messages to seven churches. Do you know who one of the churches was? The church at Ephesus. And you know what he said? He said, Ephesus, you're not like the others. And he gave blazing review to this church. He said, your, your church is amazing. You've done incredible things. You have blown past expectations. People look to you as a model. I'm proud of you for your accomplishments. He didn't say that about all the rest. But he said this one thing. He says, but I hold this one thing against you. 
What do you mean? The church at Ephesus? The shining star? Yeah, one thing I have this against you. You have forgotten your first love. You've drifted away from the thing that made you great. He says, zealously repent and turn back and do the good works that you used to do in the beginning. And that's incredible because Paul looked ahead and saw, you know, I just want to make sure that we never drift away from the things that make us great. Because all of us over time have the ability to, when we get to certain stages, to drift and to move away from the principles that guide and govern our life. And so we are, for the next few weeks, going to learn how can we be good at being rich and not being selfish and stingy, especially at this time of the year when culture pressures us and sways us to listen to the siren call of consumerism. So let me take you back to the start of our church. When we began in 2012, we wanted to do something different. Rather than just start sort of like every ministry in the world inside a Heartland Church, we didn't want to be a competitor. We wanted to serve the community. So rather than starting a food pantry and starting an after-school at-risk program for kids or starting a, food, a clothing closet, we decided that we were going to find who is really doing the best job in our community. Let's go to them and say, how can we help? And how can we serve? And how can we help you to go further and faster? And we brought resources and money and manpower, and we've been doing that for 12 years, not just at this time of the year, but all through the year in our local community and around the world. And the ministries that we support and we give to have this thread of focus, which is ministries that really affect women and children. So we'll support an organization like Prevail, which is here in Hamilton County, an advocacy and justice center for the victims of violence and crime. Or we'll support um, Shepherd Community, which is an amazing ministry downtown for at-risk children. Uh, We'll do this overseas internationally with Rotary International and World Hope International. Uh, We are seeing rescuing children uh, from slave trafficking, bringing clean water to villages, and bringing sanitation, and bringing food security, and bringing education to children in Haiti and places like that. We've been doing this all year long. But at this time of the year, because of what Paul said and because of the tendency to drift, and if the Ephesian church could end up drifting, we come back and we say, we must never lose the thing that makes us great. This is what defines us because after all, generosity is at the very heart of the gospel. It's who we are and it's who we have to be known for. We can never lose our first love. So let me take you back to what does this mean, first love? Okay, here we go. God so loved the world that he, it's the heart of the gospel. He gave. He gave expecting what in return? Nothing. In fact, his generosity is so great that you can accept or reject it. He gave knowing that some people wouldn't. He gave knowing that some people would stiff arm and reject. And yet he gave anyway because he did for those who would never be able to do for themselves. He would define giving as saying, you give to your neighbor, give to those who can't help you back, give to those who are your enemy. And he told the story of a victim of racism who encountered a victim of a violent crime. And the victim of violent crime would have never had anything to do with the victim of racism, with the exception that he was in great need. And the Samaritan who was hated by the Jew comes over and began to minister to this one who was the victim. And the people listening to that first story would lean in and they would say, could that really be possible? I mean, would a Jew really accept help from a Samaritan? And would a Samaritan help a Jew? They hate each other. 
And Jesus redefined the term neighbor in the great commandment saying, your neighbor is the one, not who's the person you like, it's the person who deserves and needs your mercy. The one who can't do for you. He would teach this. He would say that what good is it for you if you just love those who love you? Even the sinners do that. What good does it do to give to those who will give back to you because even the sinners will do that? What good does it do for you to lend to those who you expect to pay you back because even the sinners will lend to those who they expect to receive a return? So you, not so in my kingdom, he said. In my kingdom, you love those who may never love you back. And in my kingdom, you give to those who may never return. And in my kingdom, you lend to those who can never lend. In fact, he took it to another level and said, I want you even to love and do good to your enemies who will, they're never going to do anything good for you. I was at a seminar a month ago where a businessman spent the whole day explaining how generosity is a tool for business and that if you do generosity to the right people, you can obligate favors and your business can grow. Jesus said, not so in my kingdom. See, that's, that's gener- that principle will work, but it's not the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is you give because Because Jesus said, you give and you're like me, love your enemies, those who will never do good to you, those who will never be able to repay. You give to those who will never be able to respond. Give to them because if you do this, you will be like my father in heaven, like father to son, and great reward will be there for you. Because it says, God is kind and generous to the ungrateful and the evil. Wow, when I read that, God is unkind or God is kind and generous to who? The ungrateful and the evil. That's us. He would gather his disciples together and he would say on the night uh, before he was crucified, he would say, guys, if you ever get in the position where you have the most power and authority and influence, I want you to use that for the good of others. John writes and tells us that on that night, when he realized that all authority and all power had been given to him, he got down on his hands and knees and picked up a towel and a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. And they were upset and they were frustrated and they were, they were embarrassed. And he says, as I have done for you and served you, so you do this for others. Love one another as I have loved you. In fact, when you love this way, the world will look and call you my disciples. When you love across the racial lines, the world will see your oneness and say, there must be a God and Jesus must be real because the love of God is in them. When God sees the way you love one another and he sees the way that you give and the way you put aside your preferences for others, the world will say, that is jaw-dropping generosity. And it still takes people's breath away today. And that's what was going on in the church of Ephesus. All of the people in that church were just doing these acts of generosity and kindness. That's why Paul was writing, I'm blown away by you. I never stopped praying and giving thanks for what you do. Because it was the Christians who were helping the sick. It was the Christians who were feeding the hungry. It was the Christians in Ephesus who started bringing in the orphans and feeding the prisoners through the bars in the in the prisons. It was the Christ. Do you know that there were no hospitals until there were Christians in the world? I don't know if you know that. That's a fact of history. It was because of the generosity of people that says we will do for others who can't do for themselves. This is how we spread the gospel. And this is what we are to be known for in a day and age where there's a lot of yelling mouths and shouting mouths. The world is looking for some people who will just be his hands and his feet. Amen, Pastor. You're going to have to give me some help on that one. 
So you can't ever lose that. So we are going to unleash a season where we're going to love people well, like never before, and lead people up and launch people out. It's going to be a season of generosity. And we're going to talk about this for the next several weeks. And we're going to have several opportunities. We're going to have a serving opportunity. We're going to have a giving opportunity. We're going to have a food driving opportunity, okay? And you remember last year when we had all those love indie boxes and we brought them in here and we said, go fill them with food. And you know what? It was amazing. We're going to do something this, different this year. We're going to take the word uh, Heartland Church and heartlandchurch.com off the box. It's only going to say Love Indy. And the reason why we want to do that is because we want it to be an unadulterated presentation of generosity into our city. This is not about getting our name. In fact, we hope that you'll be the catalyst. We hope you'll take the many boxes, take them to your place of work, and then you'll fill them up at work in the name of Jesus or not, but you will give them to your local food pantry that your company supports. Or do like a principal in one of our schools did who took 70 boxes, and he, he put two in every classroom in his elementary school, and the children filled them, brought food from home, and the kids colored the boxes, and then they turned around and gave that food to families in that local school. That's generosity. Or you can just take that box as God prompts you and says, there's someone on your street or your neighbor that's hurting, and you walk it across the street. You don't have to bring it back here. Here's what happened last year. All we said, if you don't bring it back, you just fill out a little card that tells us how many boxes you took and what you did with it so we can keep track of the story. But outside of that, send it out. But in spite of that, on December the 12th uh, this year, we're going to invite all of you who just want to bring it back. We'll have semi-trucks here, and we're going to take food down to our ministry partner, Shepherd Community, which is an at-risk ministry downtown. We're going to give them more food this year. They're going to have to rent space for all the food that we're going to provide for them. So we're going to have a food opportunity. We're going to have a, a serving opportunity where you're going to get to be a part of delivering those boxes if you would like. Bring your children or serve the homeless through our Food for Souls ministry that started out of this church. Or you can even uh, go volunteer in many of our strategic partners. We're going to put all of these opportunities in a packet and have this for you in just a few weeks as these initiatives are given to us by our strategic partners. They're not asking for us. We're going to them and say, we want to bless you. We want to help you. We want to move you further and faster. We're going to have a giving opportunity that we like we do every year. But normally, each year, we just get to Christmas Eve, and I ask you to give. But this year, I want you to plan. This year, I want you to think about what you could do and how we could bless our local community in a stunning act of generosity. Because I think we have an opportunity that we've never had before. When I look at all the people who are part of our church who come on a Sunday... I think about, you know, on a, on a given Sunday right now, about 1,500 people actually show up at church, but that's not everybody who comes here because some of you, you, you only come like two times a month, I know, <laughs> you know, every other week, and that's okay. If everybody showed up here at the same week, we wouldn't even have room. And there's all of you who are watching online. I think about all the people who watch online and uh, who are part of that. I think of all of our strategic partner churches and all of those people. I just did a little math and just started counting up the people that are associated. Do you realize that all of us together, we could give into our local community a quarter of a million dollars on a single weekend, one time. We could do that. Yeah, let that take your breath away a bit. It could be done, and it could be done in a single weekend. And so this is what we could do. Now, 
Let me tell you some things that make this really exciting because people aren't coming to us and saying, we need this or we want this. We just want to go and bless. So here are a few things that we're going to get involved with and we're going to bless uh, this, this season. We're going to uh, spend about 80, or 80% of this locally right here, and we've got a budget that's got about 20% internationally. Um, so here's just a snapshot. We're going to give you more information uh, in the weeks ahead, but uh, these are going to be big checks, okay, uh, that we're going to give out, not golf clap checks. I mean, real big, you know, exciting things. Like, we're going to fund staff positions for local nonprofit partners. We're going to create jobs. We're going to go to our partners... And we say, we know how tight it is, we know how hard it is, and you've been wanting to expand and help more people, but you just can't, and we're going to fund the creation of a new job. Go ahead and find that person, because we're going to pay the whole first year of their salary. We're going to create jobs faster than the federal government, just like that, all right? We're, we're going to find some of our partners, and we're going to help them with a month of operating expenses. Just help them leapfrog, get ahead. Like Prevail, this incredible ministry to, to women. They've told, us for, they've told us this last year, we don't have a shelter in Hamilton County. And I don't even understand that. How could that be, that they have to take people from Hamilton County who are the victims of violence and domestic disputes, they've got to take them to Anderson or to, or to Indianapolis? Well, that shouldn't be, and it's not going to be. We're going to do something about that. We're going to help them get a whole month ahead of their operating expenses so that they can start focusing on getting that thing done. The Fishers Rotary, uh, we hope to come alongside of them again. We've been their, their partner and uh, together a catalyst for generosity. As we've done 100 wells over the last few years, which affect 100,000 people. <laughs> if you'd asked me, ask me a few years ago if we're going to build wells for 100,000 people in Africa. I mean, beyond, beyond. Well, Okay, so they came back, and, you know, a year ago, Lorie and I went, and we saw the 75th well, and we saw the first well that was dug, and it's all working, and it's just transforming people's lives. One of the villages, they said, we haven't had one child die since this well came. So about April or so of next year, the 100th well will be done, and so Rotary came back to us and says, you, we've been so inspired by what happened, we're dreaming of a 1,000 communities, a million people. And that's what I said. Wow. <laughs> like, that's beyond what I would have imagined. But you know what? We were a catalyst before. We can be a catalyst of generosity again. We could be the lead gift of that financial campaign and just be right in the heart and center of the amazing thing that God's going to do. Um, when we were in Sierra Leone, our partner, World Hope International, took us uh, to this place, this little house that's hidden. Uh, it's kept secret on purpose but it's a safe house for the victims who have been rescued from little children from sex trafficking, from the trafficking industry. And there were 20 little kids there, and we, us, our church, we, had, we funded, we gave $20,000 to get that house, uh, to, to fund the vehicle, to hire the staff, people with huge compassion that just realized that the hope of the gospel is that we got to rescue every one of these little kids that we can. I mean, children, from the, this was the, the, the oldest was 12, the youngest was nine months. And I said to myself, how can that be? How do we live in a world where something like that can occur? And I just, my heart broke. And I said, you know what? I wish we could do uh, for all of them, but if we just did it for that one, for that one little baby, we want to do for everyone, though, what we did for the one. And, and I asked a guy, how does this happen? And he says, well, different worldview. I mean, this is a culture that just, it lives on fate. 
There, it's okay for some children to just to be throwaway children. And it's just fate. You know, if Allah wills, that's the way it is. But listen, there's something that's better than fate. There's something more powerful, and that's called faith. And faith says that every child matters to God. Every child is made in his image. Every child deserves to live. They're precious in his sight. And Jesus said, I'll leave the 99 to go after the one. And so if we're rescuing kids even one life at a time, it is worth it. And so we're going to spin that wheel of generosity again and see how we can expand and do something to rescue more of those children. It's going to be an incredible season of generosity. And here, here's, here's how I know it will work. It's just going to take all of us. It's going to take everybody. Everybody in our, at our at Heartland Church, everybody at our HSC campus, all of our services. It's going to take all the people in our, in our uh, church planting uh, partner churches. It's going to take all of you who are watching online. And by the way, could I just say to you, like, we do this for you for free every single week. You don't even have to get out of bed right now. <laughs> I'm saving you gas money. You know, you don't even have to drive here. So at Christmas, you got to play too. I want everybody who's in the sphere of this, whether you live in Germany or whether you live here or somewhere else in the U.S., I want you to participate with us because if all of us come together, do you realize what can be done? We can raise a quarter of a million dollars in one weekend, get this, for $99.99. <laughs> That's all it'll take. Listen, 100 bucks. I'm not talking about like a month. I'm talking about a one-time $100. And you know what? That's not a big deal. I mean, that's not like today. Like, that's between now and Christmas. You get to get that together. You know, did you see this on WTHR the other night? The, 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 the report of the news, they said that in the average family in Indianapolis spent 100 bucks on Halloween, you know, on candy and costumes. So I said, man, we can definitely do this, all right? Now, some of you can do way more than that, and that's a good thing, and I hope you do. And some of you, this is a big deal. You say, I don't even know how I'd find 100 bucks. That's true. I just want you to know there is no guilt. This is the guilt-free zone, always has been. There's no pressure. In fact, if you could, you would. And in the past, you have, and in the future, you will. So we're not worried about the amounts, but it is the percentage, and we know that everybody, if they just do their best, we will get this big job done, just like that. And some of you, yeah. <laughs> and some of you, you know, you have these wonderful problems, you know, that rich people have, these foundations and family giving things that you have to figure out what to do at the end of the year, and you've got these trusts, and you've got to vet all of these things. Listen, we've done you a favor. We have vetted some of the finest organizations in this city, and we have done all the homework, and all you have to do is give. And I make you this promise that whatever you give, we will send 100% of it to all of these organizations. There's no shipping costs. No administrative fees, you know, none of that. We're just going to send it all. So even if your foundation would blow up our little tiny $250,000 budget, you go ahead and give because we're going to send all of it uh, to these ministries. There's no telling what could do because God can do above and beyond what we could ever ask or imagine. And you know what? He's done it in the past. A few years ago when we, we were in the middle of that downturn, we were trying to do this capital campaign for this building, and right at the time when we were being hit so hard, and everybody was wondering, how are we going to give? And then we got presented with that first opportunity to give in Sierra Leone, and we just put our stuff on hold. It's just a delay for us. It's not life or death. It set off the generosity explosion and 100,000 kids, all right? And then a couple years later, 2010, when the earthquake hit Haiti, and we had all these commitments we'd already made, 
And we just said, we got to do something. And we gave sacrificially and, and generously. And 31 other churches in Indianapolis said, well, we want to be a part of that. And together, a million dollars was given just like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and you know that that meant that 56,000 children got to go to school in Haiti and have a hot lunch every day. Every day. Beyond, beyond. That's what God did. Last year... All that food that we handed out. And I, I, I'm not just bragging on Heartland. This is happening. The people of God. We are part of an incredible movement all over this country. It's not just our church. It's not like bragging on Heartland. We are the people of Jesus. And it's happening. I spoke to 200 pastors last Sunday in Minneapolis. One of the pastors walked up to me. And he shook his head and he says, you're not going to believe this, but we baptized in one Sunday 891 people, one Sunday. That's beyond, beyond. There's another church in our movement that heard about children of HIV, AIDS in Africa, child-headed homes, uh, no mom or dad. And this church decided, they said, well, their, you know, their thing was, well, we're not going to just sit by. So they decided to get involved. And today there's 15,000 children in families with care, with a foster mom or dad. It's happened because of one church in Converge. Listen, he can do exceedingly, abundantly above and beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. It just takes all of us to have the faith to say, God, you can use me. And God, you can, God's no respecter of person. What he's done for me, he will do for you if you will have the faith to step out and trust him and make yourself a conduit. That's all we're doing. That's why I can ask all of you, even those of you who don't believe, you're here, you're not a Christian, and you say, I, I, you've confirmed my suspicion. Church is always about money. Let me confirm it for you. Yes. <laughs> I'm asking for you to give as much as you possibly can. Why? Well, because I'm not asking for me. None of this, is, we're, we're not asking you to give to a church, we're asking you to give through a church so that we can bless this community. So I want everybody to be bold, I want everybody not to be afraid or to be embarrassed. Let's get uh, our generosity hat on, let's give like the people of Jesus that we are. He can do through us exceedingly above and beyond all that we can ever ask or imagine. Do you receive this today? All right. You're going to get a letter from me, which is going to have all the little beneficiaries and all the projects. You're going to love reading about that. Give us your uh, email or whatever on the communication card today just to make sure so we can communicate with you. It's going to be the most fun fall season we've ever had uh, together as a church. And I'm so proud of you already. I can't believe that we get to do this together. And you know what? One more thing. I can't let you go without telling you this one more time. God loves you. He loves you unconditionally. And when you get that and believe that, it's going to transform your life. It'll change you from the inside out. And you're going to be finally free to say, God, you've got me. I'm not afraid of my future. You'll take care of everything. I'm going to trust you. He can do above and beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for this amazing group of people here today. Thank you for your word. And thank you for what you're going to do through us. Thank you for all those watching online. And Lord, use all of us together, all of our partner churches, to be your hands and feet in a mighty, jaw-dropping, generous way that lets the community and lets this city know that you are alive and that you love people well. And may we lead people to you like never before. I pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen and amen. Let's give God praise one more.